Boys, how are we all doing? Hey, bro. Boys, how are we? Podcast. can see uh, Scotty there in Bali, a nice palm tree in the background. He's looking relaxed. He's got his singlet on. Yeah, that's what I said yeah. just before I cut out. I'm like, Scotty's actually in Bali. He's in paradise. He's got the artificial palm tree. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can, if I turn, you can sort yeah. of see. For the YouTubers, for the YouTubers, yeah. Oh, wow. That looks awesome, man. So Scotty's showing us the pool. He's poolside at the moment. He's rubbing it, man. Weather. <laughs> I'm still up in Brizzy. Yeah. So I'm heading home tonight. Back to Melbourne and uh, back into uh, my house, regular routine. So I'm looking forward to it. MG, how you doing? Great. I'm, I'm just flying the flag down here in Melbourne, covering for you boys while you're all living it up. What's that? Yeah, I'm going to Sydney on Saturday. What do you got? A and B Nationals, excited man! Um, awesome. Last last show of the season, and it's uh, the venue there's awesome, man. In Sydney, I'll do some like um, updates on my story on the weekend so everyone can see um, how good A and B Nats are. But um, really, really looking forward to it. It's going to be an awesome show. Um, flying up with Maddie Papa. Maddie Papa's going to be doing some judging as well, which is awesome. So I'll just be down there to help out, usher around, help Team Vic, um, and really just help anyone who needs help, man. Yeah, awesome. Is it a um? Is it a two day show or one day? One day. And is there a pro show a night? Yep. Yeah, no. Amazing. I can't believe you, you got... the season's come to an end. Like, yeah, I yeah, know. I think uh, IFBB finishes up next weekend. WBFF finishes up. Uh, NBA's done. ICN's done. AMB's going to be done. It's all coming to an end. I know. I'm still, even after AMB this weekend, I'm pumped to see like the the nuts of IFBB because yeah. a few of our friends there as well. Like, obviously, you know, we've been, we're looking to see what Matt's, well, we've we've seen it, but everyone else will see what Matt's bringing. Matty Orchard, classic physique. We yeah, never got, obviously. And, uh, Bex, Bex pushing hard in, in Queensland as well. Cameron, yeah. Yeah, and then my mate Nathan Falk's on as well. He's a big boy oh. from, from Melbourne, yes. So still a little bit of cop around, but we're getting close, man. I'll tell you what, it feels like, you know what, when I left you boys, or when Scott and I left Brisbane, even though Scott went to Bali, so it's not the worst, but when, when I got home to Melbourne, it was like the um, it was like the post holiday blues, right? It was like we literally had a weekend of like comps, bodybuilding, training, eating. Freaking, it was it was elite. It was, it was amazing. But it was um, a good, good weekend. I'm I'm pumped for season A already. Like as you boys know, you've probably already started lining everyone up for season A. Um, preps will, you know, I've actually got some people starting prep very very soon, and then having a little bit of a die break over Christmas, and then and then going again. And I've got some people that will be starting straight after after New Year's. So it's um season is exciting. Uh, and we've got some uh, some good shows like NBA Nationals will be in Melbourne. Uh, there's gonna be a fitness expo in Sydney, which will they'll run their show. Um ICN in Victoria have some new venues yep. for all their season A shows. Uh, so really oh, it's gonna be awesome, really. Yeah, we've got our A and B show this year will be April twenty third. Oh, perfect. The 23rd. Right in. Yeah, right in. So um, so that'll be two weeks up. Because I think what happened this year with season A is Easter's kind of pushed everything back. Because I know Tony usually does like a, an April 9th, April 10th show. Yeah. Um, which is obviously falls on the weekend of Easter. So he's had to push back a week. So we've pushed back a week. Kind of all, all try and find a way to work together and make the season run optimally for everyone. Yeah. I should put that in my phone right now. April 23rd, you said? Yeah. Sunday, not a Saturday, which is different for us. Same venue? Same venue, Kingston Art Cinema. Man. Awesome. Yep, so. I'm, I'm going to have to get the calendar ready and put it all down now because uh, um, all the dates are confirmed for pretty much all the feds. So start building people's plans out and, and locking in their specific, their specific weekends. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. But yes, Exciting. In the last podcast, we spoke a little bit about my prep and uh, – what I was going through at that point in time and the, the mind wanting to push, but the body not wanting to follow. And uh, we're still up in the air whether I was going to compete at the NBA show uh, on the weekend. And, you know, with, with Scotty's guidance and assistance to try to get me to peak and get the body co- to cooperate, we, um, we found that on the Friday and on the Saturday, we, we made the call that the body just wasn't doing what it wanted to do. I looked great. I looked competitive. And even you said, Scotty, like things are looking really good. And it's really up to me whether I want to jump on stage. And, and I said to you, mate, if I'm not my best or any better than I was at Vix, I'm just not doing it. Because mm-hmm. you know, for me, the biggest goal was 
in Victoria to do the shows there, look my absolute best after 11-year hiatus from the sport, be there in front of my family and friends and enjoy myself. That was a massive box that was ticked and that goal was achieved. And then to come up to Queensland to do all the nationals was to be competitive and to be better and to be my absolute best. But uh, the body just didn't want to do it, didn't want to go. And uh, we made that call and then it lined up perfectly because uh, on my best, my bestie was coming to see me anyways for my show on the weekend. So he still came. And on Saturday, I officially started day one of the reverse. And I was just telling MG, it was so funny. It's like we made that call on Friday uh, in the afternoon and I still kept dieting that day. I had all my food prepped, ready to go. I was still training. I still wanted to execute and finish that day off strong. And then when Saturday came around, it's like the body said, okay, now you can fucking rest. And I tried to sightsee with my bestie and it was a struggle to walk. It was a real struggle to walk. Like my mind's like, I want to get out and do things. And the body's just like, no, mate. You man, you're done. And what's so funny is because the other days I was training really hard. I felt really good, recovered, rested, felt amazing. As soon as that decision was made, the next day I woke up, I was like, body's like, yep, no, not happening. And what's funny is we even spoke about this MG is we've had clients that have just gotten sick straight after shows, straight away, just gotten sick. Body's like, yep, cool, you can take it easy now uh, and gotten sick. But uh, I had that... uh, that first day in reverse, my best mate was down, went to the Gold Coast, had three square meals, nothing crazy. I wasn't hungry. And that's pretty much all I ate was just three meals. And that was it. And then next day, Sunday, everything was prepped and ready to go. And I just continued on with uh, with the, the uh, calories and macros that were set. And and everything's been good since then. So you know, I'm really- and that's probably like, a, a, like the fact that even that, you just... It just reinforces that the right decision was made. Your body had just literally said it's had enough. And sometimes that's what happens when you just, you're in that dieting condition for so long. Like you started prep so long ago, your body had basically just said, nah, we're done. Yeah. And what I just said to MG before is, you know, obviously I've still been training pretty, pretty hard, but even I've, I've been told to be a little bit conservative. And uh, I'm actually getting some fluid retention in the ankles. And uh, bit of edema, okay. Yeah, and and I think the legs are just a bit tired. So yeah. I took a day of training today, and today I'm traveling back home. So I decided not to train today, but I'll be itching to train tomorrow when I get <laughs> when I get myself. It's always, it's always harder to, to to pull back when you know the the pressure of the show is off, food's up a little bit, you got a little bit more energy, you want to dispose of that energy, and your body's just like, nah, no fucking chance. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to it's hard to pull back and not want to go in the gym and just fucking send it tear the roof off when you've got all this all this energy you've actually got to think think like an athlete and say okay what's the right thing for me to do here well I actually need to listen and, and rest yeah and what's funny is the last two mornings I've slept in an extra hour compared to the the whole week yeah just for no reason just gotten up an hour later Body, the body's amazing man like what it can yeah. endure like even similarly like when I got through my prep remember like the week after prep my knee which had been an issue for 16 weeks of my prep, we got through it, said no more. You're not, you're now, now I'm not going to let you walk properly anymore. So, like, I managed to let, let me – like, I trained legs peak week, and then the week after peak week when all my shows were done, my knee just went, nah, you're not even going to walk anymore. That's <laughs> crazy. Crazy. Do, do you find um, – because we actually haven't had this conversation, MT. Uh, would you say that your perceived energy levels are higher now that you're eating a bit more? Like, do you feel like you have a little bit more energy, pep in your step, or does it just feel no different? Actually, I would say I feel a little bit less energy even though I'm eating more food. Perhaps more lef- like lethargic as a result lethargic. of more yeah, carbohydrate consumption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what it is? I yeah. think it's just the mind not having to push as hard anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I'm super motivated though. And you know me, like I'm motivated by improvement. So the fact that now we're in reverse and I'm just looking at myself like I cannot wait to start growing. Like I cannot wait. So I'm really motivated to, to get it all done, but my, but I have been feeling lethargic recently, even though food is up and I'm up uh, 2 kg at the moment. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah? It's a, a nice way to come out. Like, you know, we've all seen people go the other way and put a shitload on in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And like, obviously the phase that you were in being recovery was to try and recover some of that, recover some of that down regulation but it doesn't mean you have to put on a shitload of weight really fast either right so and how much better you're going to feel coming out two three kilos heavier over two weeks instead of seven or eight yeah. now, even from your, your mental state as well 
Yeah, and of that too, like you still like we actually said a bit more than that that you got to obviously gain over the next few days. Yeah, and what's funny is weight kind of came up quick and then it's come back down again, as you would yeah. expect. Um, just having those untracked meals and I had a little bit of digestive issues the next couple of days after that, even though you know I went for a gluten-free vegetarian options and something really, you know, gluten-free breads and stuff. I still tried to be really conservative and lactose-free milks because I had my first latte for the first time in God knows how long. Um, but, yeah, still a little bit of digestive issues, which is as to be expected, but I'll just go back to all the nectar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's um, good, man. But, yeah, we're, we're good to go. So we actually got some questions about you, Scotty, about how everything's going in Bali and uh, – how are you managing your food? Yeah, it's a good are one. Are you still doing a mini cut? And how are you managing your training? Yeah, so food-wise, it's probably actually not going as well as I would have liked. Not on the in the sense that most people might think I've been overindulging, but actually probably the opposite. So, yes, I technically am still in this pre-prep mini cut phase, but I actually put something up on my timeline um, I was maybe five or six days ago, maybe even a week ago, just saying that how much of a drop that I had, had like within that first yeah, initial phase where, yeah, and a lot of people are like, how did you lose that much body fat? But I think a lot of people realize when you're eating, you know, my off-season food was around about 5,000 cows in that 4,800 to 200 range. I pulled it way back because I wanted to try and get this done relatively quick. A lot of that, I think my intakes, well, they're somewhere around the 33 or 3,400 mark. But when you look at how much less food that is, so firstly, you're going to see a massive drop in glycogen, a massive drop in food volume, and in water clearing out. There was probably three kilos just in that alone anyway, but I actually weighed in this morning because we haven't had scales, other than at the gym when we were, we were staying um, at the mall here in Nusa Dua. And I was weighing in after training there, and I was around about 99.1, 99.2. But this morning, fasted, I was 96.6, which is... A little bit too low for where I would want to be, and that's—I think it's partly because I actually find when we're here, especially with the kids, we only really eat three meals a day. Whereas back home, I'll put in five, sometimes six meals a day. So, just the the meal frequency, perhaps the food volume, but it was a bit of a reminder that perhaps I need to just be mindful. Like yesterday, we went for lunch, and I had a a big chicken salad, whereas that just obviously wasn't going to be enough in my head. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm dieting. There's probably seven or eight hundred calories here, but it just turns out that it wasn't. So I'll just be a bit more mindful and probably uh, probably just try and eat a little bit more um, while I'm here because I don't want to drop that fast. Um, but otherwise, it's it's going good. Um, Training-wise, yeah, we're in Seminyak now. So we're staying at Nusadua before at the Mulia and they actually have probably one of the best gyms, in-house gyms in Bali. So it's an incredible um, resort. They have everything, hammer strength, life fitness. So I pretty much trained every day there knowing that I was probably going to take the first three or four days here to just recovery. This is meant to be a deload anyway. And then um, one of my good mates is coming over here on Friday or Saturday, I think. So I'll probably get two or three sessions in later in the week with him, either at, um, we'll either go to Body Factory or the Soham Center um, in Seminyak. And so that'll pretty much be it. Last week was just training like normal. And then, like I said, I'll use these for the next few days to um, just relax, a bit of family time. I won't bother about training. And then, um, I'll get a few sessions in later in the week as to also make it a bit easier to integrate back into normal life. We fly home next Tuesday, so at least that way I'll have had a few days of training. I obviously won't train the day that we leave, and then um, that way when I get back, it'll just be full steam ahead, ready to go again. But um, it's it's so easy, even if you're dieting over here. Everything here in, in terms of, like, if you're in Seminyak, there's so many places, they've got all the calories, it's got the macro breakdowns, you can track if you want to track. And the food isn't inherently like great. I mean, you can get greasy, shitty food wherever you go, but it's pretty clean. I tend to eat the same stuff. It's pretty much just chicken and rice. Even when we're at the Mulia, they have like a buffet style, but you can make, because I'm gluten-free, they make everything fresh for you. So each night I was having like a big bowl of nazi goreng, a side of vegetables, and then extra chicken breast on the side. And they look at me like, do you want anything else? Like, do you want some, you know, some fried toast or whatever? Or like, yeah, all these other bits and pieces. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Let's have that with the soda water. So I'm pretty simplistic. I, even when I am away, I tend to eat the same sort of stuff because I like what I like. So yeah, a bit bland, bit, bit plain Jane, but that's all right. Smashing the mahi mahi. I actually ate a lot of that in um in Nusadua. So some nights I would switch up the chicken just for fish. So I'd have a heap of fish, or I'd have 
steak or chicken. But yeah, I haven't had any here because last night we went to um, a steak restaurant here, but I had a, a nice, I fill it and some veggies and potatoes. So even then, it's, it's good, man. I'm, I'm sure you guys would be very similar. I mean, even if I wasn't celiac, I wouldn't be eating burgers and shit like that because it just doesn't really agree with me. Yeah. No, I think the only thing that like is desirable to me if I'm away is like, just get the craving for a pizza, but like a good pizza, not like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... So like, I think pizza, me, me and I did a few pizzas in Bali. But like, do you, have you, do you hit up Sea Circus there? Uh, I've been before, but we don't normally, we don't normally go there. Nah, we've actually penciled in. I think we had dinner at the Plantation Grill last night. Tonight, we've got barbacoa. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Check out Sea so Circus we'll, just for lunch, just because like, it's heaps of stuff that's like bodybuilder friendly, man. Okay, I'll have to have a look at that. Yeah, we normally go to Sister Fields in... Um, yeah, it's not... In it's around, the corner. around the corner. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Better. Right. I'll Better. check it out for sure. Awesome, man. So good to hear that you're having a great time over there. You deserve it, man. You had a massive season and a, and a massive year, so uh, enjoy some family Appreciate time. it, man. No, it's good. Mm. Enjoy some family time. Um, we, had a, we had a couple of people ask, and also just people comment to me in general. They're like, are you guys going to continue the podcast in the off-season? And like, of course, like we're doing this all the way through. We're not stopping. It wasn't just something just for comp prep to to, to get people through or to give people advice through comp prep. Comp prep. We're uh, we're definitely continuing the podcast all the way through, and we're going to organise a catch up. We're definitely going to put it out there to organise a catch up. We'll uh, we'll hit a big gym somewhere. We'll get everyone to come down, and uh, we really yeah. to meet everyone. Yeah. And I think the content will just evolve with the time of the year it is. Right. So like, obviously, we did a lot of prep related topics and questions. You know, and we, we we think that you know maybe the questions will start to be a little more off season related, growing, um, food relationship orientated. Like, there's just a ton of topics that we're here to cover, and we we also aware that um, we're we're due for our next guest. So stay tuned for that. That's that's not too far away. Yeah, on that. So you know, coming to into different questions now post comp. Uh, you know, people looking at new goals, maybe new federations, maybe leveling up their physique and changing their physique. So I actually got two questions about uh, being a natural athlete, doing natural federations, ICN, NBA, so on and so forth, and wanting to move into IFB, WBFF, that potentially have people that aren't natural. Um, you know, do they stand a chance? And, uh, you know, how long of an off-season do they kind of need? Yeah, I would start by saying, potentially against people who are not natural. I, I want to say 100% against people who are not natural, not potentially, definitely against un, uh, enhanced athletes. And again, it's like so athlete dependent, like, you know, there's certain physiques that are that are competing in, you know, the natural federations that we're competing in that could stand on an IFBB stage and do really, really well, right? Like if we just use like Beck, pretty much um, took out most of the divisions in Victoria. So can it be done? 100%. But I think depending on the type of category that you're doing, it's going to become harder and harder to become competitive unless you are at the top of the ranks in the natural feds, in the natural feds, or maybe even a pro in the natural feds to step on um, an, an enhanced stage. For example, an ICN physique pro stepping on and doing IFBB men's physique, right? That that might be a, that might be a, a better correlation than say just you know, an amateur stepping on the IFBB stage. But as soon as you start to step up into, you know, your classics, your bodybuildings, just the sheer size of some of these guys, and unless you've been to an IFBB show or you are friends with, you know, a competitor who competes within these divisions, you, you cannot understand the difference in size when they when guys stand next to each other, right? It's it's It can be chalk and cheese at times. So can, can someone do well? I think we've actually answered this. Like someone can do well if they are an absolute freak, Hard worker, been in the game a long time, a lot of dense, mature muscle. Like if I could use Scott as an example, right? Scott could step on the IFBB stage, do physique, and do well. Um, but Scott's got years and years and years of training, and he's at the top level of natural physique competition in the country. So he could. But he's just one example. For most people, um, it would um, it would take a lot of time to get there. And could you do it in one off-season? I don't think you could, no. I think it would take multiple, multiple grow seasons um, if you look at the rate at which we're putting on muscle tissue, and like if I use myself as an example, you know, I'm pushing so hard at the moment food-wise, I'm punishing a reasonable amount of food to just try and grow by like a couple of hundred grams per week. For me to get my ceiling in off-season weight is going to take me the best part of 18 months, and that's that's pretty much how long I'm going to be growing for to get there. So 
it's 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 just going to take far more time than you think it's going to take to get the size required to be competitive on that stage. Yeah, look, I think it's probably this is probably uh, a female asking this question. So I want to say that if you're a female going into a bikini division uh, within WBFF or IFPB, it's probably more likely that you'll be competitive um, than if you were a male going into mm-hmm. a male division. Or if you're a female going into more of a muscular division like a, a, a figure or fitness or whatever that may be. So yeah. I think if you're looking at IFB bikini or WBFF bikini, yes, it's definitely doable. Um, I, I would always say is take an honest um, assessment of your current physique or your most recent stage physique and look at people that are competitive in IFB bikini, WBFF bikini and see how far you've got to go. And see and then get honest feedback from or ask someone that maybe can help you is how long do you think it's going to take? What muscle groups I need to build up? What sh- do I actually do? I have the shape that they're looking for because IFB is looking for a very, very specific shape and structure. And there's cert- certain people that will be competitive just because of their genetic structure and shape, and certain people that won't. And that's the same with uh, WBFF. So do I even have the body type to suit a certain division? And how far away is my current physique from being competitive in that division? And as we said is we've got people that are um, more newbies, but they've been training for years or they genetically have a great physique or great, great muscularity and they could be competitive right now. And you've got other people that this could be more of a four to five, six year um, end goal where they've got to go through multiple um, growth phases to to bring their physique to a competitive level. So I think you need to take an honest assessment um, and see how long it's going to take for you to get, there, get feedback from a from a coach or even from a judge or that may be. And I think it's more likely that if you're a female and going into a bikini division, you're more likely to be able to do it naturally and be still be competitive. Now, just a side note is both of those federations, IFB and WBFF the stage presence and posing is different and it requires uh, a lot of practice and it also can also require a certain type of person or personality to, to really, uh, you know, let's say be more of a natural in, in one of those federations. So you're going you're to make an honest assessment too there of how much of do I need to go or how much do I need to practice to actually pull off my stage presence and be competitive okay. in those federations because it's, something, it's a very, very big judging criteria in those two factors. Yep. So definitely something to look into too and think about too. But it can definitely be done. Everything's always doable. But it's just about having a, taking an honest assessment of where you're at and, and uh, how long it's going to take to get to where you need to be. And you might have done like a female fitness division stepping into IFBB bikini. So like you might already have the muscularity for a natural fitness division. But if you went into that federation, you may drop down a level, go, say, mus- the muscularity of bikini because it's more suitable. So it just depends where you're at as well. Yeah. And remember, they've got wellness too in IFB now. And what we're finding is is that they're trying to make a bigger gap between those two divisions. So even IFB bikini has changed over the recent years. It's more of a smaller look compared to what it used to be because they're trying to make that separation between wellness and bikini. So also assess your physique and, see, and make sure you're looking at current um, current winners and, and people that are currently competitive to understand what where you need to go and how, how far you need to, need to get there and what your body type really suits. Because if you're very lower body dominant and, and very lower body muscular, it may throw you out of the IFB bikini now in this state um, of the environment that, that they're in at the moment. So you can make sure you're up to date with what they're looking for from a judging perspective too. Anything to add there, Scotty? Nope, you guys nailed it. Nailed it. All right, we're going to move on to something that I know you really want to talk about. Um, deadlifts and back squats. Will they make your waist thick? And uh, we're probably most likely talking about this discussion coming up because of female bikini competitors. Mm-hmm. So tell us well, the, short, the, the, sh- the short answer is no So I think just because There are some people on social media Who like to 
perhaps make a massive claim there. They saw on an EMG that you get more abdominal exercise, uh, abdominal, you get more abdominal or oblique activation on a squat or a deadlift than you would say with doing an abdominal crunch. But it just doesn't work like that. And again, if you if you look for something within certain data somewhere along the line, you'll always be able to find bits and pieces of it. But majority of the EMG data that I've seen, you know, guys like um, Schoenfeld and Brett Contreras, like they've, they've even put stuff on and actually showed in terms of EMG data that they've done in their labs, which just completely just throws what these other people are saying out the window. So obviously your abdominals and your obliques co-contract like your erectors whenever you're performing a squat or a deadlift because they have to engage so that you can maintain thoracic extension and not obviously bend over. So by thoracic extension, I mean you can stay in an upright position and still be able to perform the movement. So it's preventing you from spinal flexion. But I would argue that exercises like a chin-up, shoulder press, a floor press, any of those other movements um, are also going to have the exact same if not, but sometimes even perhaps more engagement of those muscles than what a squat or a deadlift will. So yes, and again, this all starts because when you're, you're squatting or deadlifting, you're creating intra-abdominal pressure. So, you know, you're breathing into your diaphragm. So it inflates, it pushes pressure um, or creates pressure through your, your TVA. And it does obviously mildly stretch your, um, your abdomen and your obliques. But again, you're doing that with all these other movements and exercises that involved that involve greater range of motion and that actually involve flexion and extension of the spine so think an abdominal crunch with a cable or resistance that is going to offer more activation through those specific regions than what an isometric contraction so an isometric contraction means that the muscles are being engaged but there's no actual movement through a specific range so for example think if you're doing a plank that's an isometric contraction if i'm doing a sit-up obviously that involves flexion extension of the spine so when we're squatting or we're deadlifting, yes, our core is engaging isometrically, but not at a rate that is going to supersede something like an abdominal crunch or even potentially a plank or a weighted plank for that matter. So to summarize, no, it's not going to make your waist blocky. A lot, of, a lot of the time, people that say, oh, they've got a blocky waist, they're referring to the IFBB bodybuilders. So you're talking about the guys that are 300 pounds in their off season and they do have quite a lot of distension through their midsection. But those athletes and even some of the perhaps IFBB or um, enhanced female competitors, they're blasting gear. So they're getting assistance from pharmacology to help obviously take that muscle group to an extreme. So just like their abdominals may perhaps grow a little bit more, but their glutes and their arms and their shoulders and their quads may also grow more than what yours will as well. So if you're a natural bikini athlete and someone's telling you not to deadlift or to squat, I would ask why and ask them to show you proof. And even then I would just, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even ask because I just think it's, it's, it, it's just not that sensible. It doesn't, it doesn't really apply to you if you're a natural athlete. I, every single one of the females on my roster squat and deadlift myself as a as a male physique athlete all of my guys all squat and deadlift one of the comments that i actually get personally when i compete is your waist looks so tiny i i squat heavy and i deadlift heavy and i hip thrust heavy and i don't have any issues with that whatsoever because it, again there's not a whole lot of carryover in terms of muscular growth through those specific exercises if you want to make your your abs blockier then I would say train them through specific ranges. So perform oblique crunches, perform abdominal crunches. But you definitely don't need to worry about squatting or deadlifting. You know what I think it is too? I think it's context. There's no context when comments like that are, are made. Like obviously those people that are saying those things online are just looking for uh, a little bit of hype. It's quick, it's quick bait. Definitely. But there's no context, right? So put it this way. Everyone needs to have some kind of squat variation and deadlift variation in their program. And the people that are saying those things, that deadlifts and squats make your waist thick, they use squats and deadlift variations in their programming. So their clients are all doing them. But it's about context, right? So let's just say, for instance, let's just say that 
heavy squats and deadlift does make waist thick. Let's just say it does, right? Over time, maybe it does. The, the thing is, is that they give you no context when they're saying that because no bodybuilder does that. No bodybuilder does powerlifting style squats and deadlift and programming that way where they're constantly lifting heavy, low rep and over years and years and years and it's always in their program to do heavy squats and deadlifts. All the bodybuilders, all those female athletes, all those bikini athletes, they're doing some kind of single leg deadlift, some kind of deadlift that's with dumbbells, some kind of stiff leg deadlift, some kind of Romanian deadlift, some kind of fancy deadlift with a cable, some kind of squat that's with the, um, you know, the, the machine or some kind of handle between their legs. They're using a hack machine. They're using a Smith machine. They're doing some kind of other, you know, high rep squat. They're doing single leg versions. They're, none of them are doing a powerlifting version of a squat. None of them, right? And even if they were, because they want to get their 1R, 1RM deadlift up or their squat deadlift up, they're doing it for one eight-week program a year, right? So they're not training like a powerlifter. They're not training like a CrossFit athlete, which is where most people would say is these are the ones that have thick waists and they do squats and deadlifts, therefore squats and deadlifts are no good. Even if it was true, no bodybuilder trains like that. No bodybuilder program has programs like that. And even if they did train or have programs like that, it's for a very, very short period of time because they want to do something different and they have a goal of getting their one RM up. So always think about the context when someone makes a claim or a clickbait um, trigger like squats and deadlifts make your waist fit. It's all about context. That's it. It's like uh, when the game changers came out and everyone's like, man, did you see the game changers? It's like everyone should go vegan. Now, did you see the data that they had in that Game Changers documentary? It's like, yeah, but when you pick out three pieces of data and go really, really hard at those three pieces, hell yeah, you can make it convincing. I mean, just with the people that we coach collectively, us three on screen, and how many of them get to stage with teeny tiny ways, all of our clients squat and deadlift. So is our data not relevant? I think you just like a lot of the time picking and choosing. I can't remember who debated this once, but I saw them, I heard them say like, if that's your argument, then you best be taking out every exercise that requires you to brace. So mm-hmm. what does that leave you in your programming? Well, not a fucking hell of a lot. So there's... Uh, and that's, that, yeah. that's what I mean. There's, if you're, if you're going to remove squats and deadlifts because you're worried it's going to make your waist blocky, then you should take out pretty much every single compound movement that requires you to have stability of the spine. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> which which really doesn't leave you a whole, a whole lot. Lot. Might as well just, just just go and just go and do Pilates. What's so interesting is too is we talk about men's physique for a second. Is we really want our abs developed so we can see them, right? So they're aesthetically pleasing. So men's physique athletes directly train their abs, directly train their abs, and some of them have the smallest waists ever. Because aesthetically, for stage, they need to have a small waist but they train the shit out of their abs. So, and they squat and they deadlift. <laughs> and they squat and they deadlift. But besides the point is they're, they're training their abs directly and they still don't have a thick waist. And now we're trying to say that just general bracing could cause a thick waist. Mm. And it's also about creating an illusion. So, for example, if you get someone to stand straight in front of you, in a, in a frontal plane position and you look at their midsection versus if you get them to go through a quarter turn, square their body one way and rotate, you can create a look that makes your waist look super tiny. And in terms of, say, like the men's physique guys, they also do that by having ridiculously large lats. So you're big up here, which creates the illusion that everything below that is super small. In females, it's the same thing where they're broad through their arms and their shoulders and they've got these monster glutes. So you're big up here and you're big down there. So it makes whatever's in the middle appear really, really small. So, yeah, it, I, I think you just, you, you kind of just have to sometimes sit back and just think logically. And again, bear in mind that, like I said, if you look for something somewhere along the lines, if you go looking on the internet to say that perhaps if you eat burgers, you can get cancer. I'm sure somewhere along the line, there's someone that's had cancer that used to eat a lot of hamburgers. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean that eating hamburgers is going to give you fucking cancer. So you just have to, again, just take a step back sometimes. And, and sometimes that's what I do. If I'll ever read something, it could be a research paper. And that's why you also have to assess what you're reading and, and sometimes even go through the data and see how was it done? How is it measured? Um, what was the protocol like? Because unless it's a meta-analysis on something, so meta-analysis is like an analysis of a ton of analyses, then, um, which I haven't seen anything along that lines thus far, then I think you just sort of perhaps need to think, sometimes it can just be an outlier. Yeah, yeah definitely. And it's just like, yeah. a, it's just like a, uh, for a lot of the people putting this stuff out, like Chimboli said, they're using variants of it, but it's their marketability tool, right? It's what they're selling their product on. It's like, you know, like similarly, we've all heard this one, like, oh, none of my athletes will do any cardio. But they've got, but they have twenty thousand steps in their plan, <laughs> right? But same thing, right? It's like uh, no cardio if you work with me, but you got to do twenty thousand steps. You ain't gonna get twenty thousand steps without doing some form of formal movement, a walk. A, you can class it as whatever you want. So sometimes it's just about reading between the lines a little bit more. Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, I think we've done that one to death. Uh, one, another one for training is mind muscle connection. Uh, tips to help with my muscle connection and is it really important? You know, one of the things I always found, man, is the bigger you get, the more muscle you build, the better your body muscle connection gets, right? And there's more of it to connect with. So I find like the longer someone trains, the better they get. And that's no, that's obviously no surprise. Um, and I think the best tip that you can give is like work with the coach as early as you can. If you're a, if you're an athlete who's, you know, self-coaching or hasn't worked with a coach before, even just checking in with a coach to get an assessment of your form and technique because, you know, we can go through periods of time and just develop bad habits in exercise and it happen, can happen to the best of us, um, you know, and then all of a sudden you can start to trigger little things like connective tissue in- issues and tendinopathy. Um, and that's, the that's you know, that's happened to me in the past where, you know, when I was seated rowing 70 kilos, my mind muscle connection was beautiful, my form was great and I had no elbow flares. But when I started to bump up to 77, 83, 89, all of a sudden, I'm trying to move that weight a little bit harder. My form gets a little bit shitter. My mind-muscle connection drops and bang, what happens? Spike in volume, tendinopathy back. So it is important. I would say don't push things too fast, too quickly. Get someone to check your form regularly. Get a coach to assess you. Even a lot of us, we have clients who are just online. We never get to see them. The benefit of having them potentially in the gym even once a month versus not at all um, can go a long way to building your mind-muscle connection. I, th- I think if you're a newbie, you should probably expect to have very, very bad mind-muscle connection. Yeah. Like, I so many newbies that I've trained in the past, perfect form, yeah. I, don't, I don't feel it. I can't feel it in my quads. I can't feel it in my back. I can't. And I'd be like, it's okay, it just takes time. You're doing the movement correctly. I can see the form is great. It's just going to take time for that movement to translate into, oh, my God, I feel it. Now, look, if it's, a, if it's a direct bicep curl or you're on the leg curl machine or doing a leg extension, you're probably going to feel it in, the, in, the, in your target muscle because it's so isolated. But, you know, a typical one is lat pull down or some kind of rowing movement or even some kind of squat. You're like, I just don't feel it. And their form will be textbook. And it's just going to take time. And then as MGC said, then you may get your mind-muscle connection, you may feel the muscle, but then as you progress in the weight and the reps, you may lose it because you're progressing too fast and too hard and you're trying to move the weight from A to B and more worrying about training the exercise than training the muscle. You're so targeting the number rather than the yeah, connection. So I think it's, you get to a point where once you've learned how to get to A to B and do the correct form, and then you're progressing in the movement, and then all of a sudden you can start to feel it in the muscle that you're training, and then you get stronger, make sure you maintain that connection because then we can get to a point where we're progressing so fast and so hard and we're looking to push numbers, and we forget that we're trying to actually, should we should be training a muscle, yeah. not training the squat or training the lat pull-down. We're training the back or the quads. Yeah. So I think it's super important. And then, And then we start to see some really let's call them fancy movements where we're trying to hit a certain angle or a certain region of the muscle that may re- even take more time. It's almost like starting like a newbie again, you know, at the moment 
lower lats is like the new thing to like hit your lower lats and do some kind of single arm underhand grip chest supported cable thing and yeah you're not going to feel your lower lats when you first start that movement like it's going to take you time uh so same thing is get the form right first get someone to check the form then over time understand where you're supposed to feel it then you'll start to feel it and make sure you can maintain that feeling even once you start progressing that movement yeah, something I think can be really advantageous as well, and that's typically what I give anyone that's new to the game straight off, is isotonic work, so a lot of tempo work. And the advantage of that is, firstly, you need to go lighter because obviously the, the, the duration of the set takes longer, but going slower and taking your time, especially for that eccentric range, it teaches you control, teaches you correct um, lifting mechanics, but you'll create so much more time under tension, which over time means that you'll accrue more cellular swelling, so more of a pump, which will actually allow you to get a better muscle-mind connection. So I think there's so much hype, especially in perhaps the younger generation, you know, starting out, how much they can lift. How much you lift, is it important? It is important, but how you lift that actual load is more important. So the way that you're lifting and executing a movement matters more than how much you're lifting. So sometimes... You'll have guys that are, you know, they're claiming that they're doing a 450 leg press and you have a look and it's like a quarter range. And then you'll prescribe, say, I want you to do sets of 12 to 15 with a three second negative with 200 kilos. And I want you to video it from a sagittal view so I can actually see exactly where your range is. And it's like, oh my God, my legs have never burned like that in my whole entire life. So sometimes, you know, it's, it's not a... It's not a weightlifting competition. We're not powerlifters. The goal is to, to gain as much size as we can and to put on as much muscle. So if creating a, a better mind-muscle connection, which it does, it is going to um, allow you to, to do that. An easy and simple way to do that sometimes is just pull back on the load and then perform some tempo-based work. So actually count your reps. So if it's a light pull-down, if it's a three-second negative on the way back up and you're doing 10 to 12 reps, your set's going to take you close to a minute. And I can guarantee you, you'll get more out of that and you'll get more activation out of that than you will if you just pump out 12 momentum heavy reps up and down like that or trying to perform um, the Kassam um, one-arm iliac pull-down. You know, that, those type of movements, yeah, they are good if they can be executed correctly, but 95% of people can't do that. And they're not at a level where they can do that. And a lot of times you need to be there in person to really you know, solidify how that movement's executed. So sometimes rather than giving someone that, you're better off just giving them something a little bit more basic where they're going to be able to execute it um, correctly and get more out of it rather than trying to overcomplicate it. Like the basics work. You, you look back at guys like Dorian Yates and Arnold, they weren't doing any of those sorts of things, Ronnie Coleman, years and years and years ago, and they were still able to build incredible physiques. The basics work. I think sometimes we just overcomplicate things. Yeah, I think you made some really good points is you know, sometimes you need to include some what's called intensity techniques where it's like pause contractions, uh, negatives, pulses, and things like that, going, going lighter but increasing the rep range, uh, tempo work. I think sometimes we need to just change it to, to, to reconnect with the muscle and actually feel what it feels like to feel it in the muscle, right? And, um, and not just feel tension where it's, where it's like, I'm getting stronger. I can really feel it in my lats when I lat pull down because the weight is so heavy. Sometimes it's like, okay, how about you try a pause at the bottom? How about you try a slow tempo? How about you try some pulses? How about you try something else? It also, too, is, is sometimes people get stuck on the variation. They're like, well, 90% of people do this variation, therefore that's for the variation I should be doing. Yeah. Sometimes you might be that 10% where that variation just doesn't work for you. Just basically... Mm -hmm. And I think a really common one that I see with people is uh, hip thrusting. So I've had so many clients like, I just don't feel it in my glutes. I just don't feel my glutes. And they'll be super strong. And be like, cool, okay, go a bit wider, don't feel it. Go a bit narrower, don't feel it. Point the toes out, don't feel it. Let's add a band. Okay, now I feel it. So sometimes you need to modify the variation the grip, the stance, add a band, whatever that may be, an experiment to see if you need to change the variation so that you can feel it in the muscle and have a better mind-muscle connection. Because um, just because someone says that you have to stand in this stance on a squat or have this kind of looking hip thrust doesn't mean that it's going to work for 
100% of the people. Have you found the same, MG? What do you think? Yeah, man. I absolutely agree, 100%. And that's where it like, comes back to my point earlier. It's like sometimes the best thing you can do is just have someone there to bounce off and assess for you um, rather than just trying to work it all out yourself because there's certain movements that certain people are going to pull off beautifully because structurally they're built different. You know, limb lengths, all types of stuff are going to are going to make a difference. Um, so, yeah, there is no one-size-fits-all. Get a coach, bounce it off someone, and then you can you can – you know, progress so much faster just having someone in your corner who can assess your movement efficiency. 100%. Now, you spoke about coaches, and we've got a coaching question. Um, and this is actually pretty common. I've seen this a lot, and I've spoken to a lot of people about this, is how to break up with your coach when your coach is your friend. Um, this person said, I'd love to, love to work with one of you guys for my next comp, but I feel like a dog ditching my coach who is a friend and just prep me for my first my first show. What do I do? Have you ever come across this MG where someone's like, "I want to go with you, but it's my friend. My coach is my friend. I have. I feel really bad." Uh, look, I have, and in that in that instance, because the question was directed at me specifically, you know, the answer that I gave was like, you know, that, that's something that you have to work out and deal with because I don't want to be seen to be saying. This is exactly what you say. Go to that coach and say exactly this. And then they're like, well, this is what MJ told me to tell you. So in that instance, you know, my answer was just, you know, this is probably something that you have to work out for yourself. But um, look, at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if you feel like there's an opportunity for better progression, um, as coaches, all three of us can sit here on screen and 100% say that we've had athletes who have left us who we thought would not leave us, you know, because, you know, you've done everything right and like, you know... <laughs> Like I've seen people, MG, MT, take people all the way through to win overalls and, you know, two seasons pass and they're not there. I'm like, man, you did everything right. What happened? Like, so so it, it's we don't take it personally anymore. Um, if I relate it back to us, these things happen. People change coaches all the time. And you know what? We also understand that human nature, um, you do want to experience new things. Having said that, if, if you're with that coach and that coach has continually gotten you your best physique year after year, the process has been good, safe, efficient, you've had a good working relationship, then you do need to think about whether you are genuinely going to gain anything from, from changing coaches. So you need to look at the pros and cons. If there's methodology within your coach's practice that you are questioning and you are questioning regularly, that's a different story and maybe that there are better avenues out there. But I just... I just don't want athletes to always think about that, you know, the the jump jump ship train where, oh, I didn't win I didn't win my pro card this season. Maybe a new coach will fix that. Well, it's not necessarily always the outcome, right? Maybe you just need a little bit more time in a building phase to improve your physique and come back next time to do a little bit better than you did last time. So I would just say, look at your progression with that coach. Are you getting better and better every time you prep? Is the methodology does the methodology back up what we talk about here all the time? Then, then maybe it might be a personality thing. And at the end of the day, if you're just not clicking personalities, but you're saying this person's your best friend, so your personality is definitely jail. So they would be the, the metrics that I would assess. Yeah. Let's, from a competitive standpoint, sometimes you need to think, yeah, is the grass going to be greener on the other side? And we've always had clients that thought so and then come back to us. There's a lot. Um, so think about it in that perspective too is – is the grass really going to be green on the other side? And as you said, MG, if everything's going well and you're progressing and you've got a good relationship, then give that coach the opportunity to, to keep coaching you and uh, to, to, to get you to the point of where you need to be. And maybe then after you think you've given them enough time, then assess whether you want to move on. For sure. But I'll tell you from a coach's perspective, and us three have all spoke, spoken about this, and I think this comes with experience and also having a good business and being a, a, a good coach is there's so many clients out there. You lose one client, you gain four more. Like we've all spoken about this. The season has ended. How many inquiries have we gotten? How many more people have we signed on? A, a handful. All of us have, right, already. And it's only been a week post the major shows, right? So as a coach, don't worry about losing a client from a business perspective because there's so many clients out there and you'll replace that spot easily. The next thing is too is no coach wants to coach someone that doesn't want to be coached anymore. 
So if there's any inkling of a client that really is over being coached, let them go. Because the last thing I want is to be coaching someone that doesn't want to be coached. So as soon as someone says to me, I, um, I want to take a break, I'm like, perfect. When do you want it? Right now? We can start right now. You can have your break right now. Because the last thing I want to do is to continue to coach them when I know they don't want to be coached. I want to go on a break. So I always, whenever someone does want to take a break or put things on hold for so going on a holiday for personal reasons, financial reasons, or their goal is so, so, so far ahead that they don't really need to be coached right now, I want to set them up for success without me. And also I want to let them go as soon as possible because I want to replace them, obviously, but I also only want to coach people that want to be coached. So as a coach, if, if that coach that is your friend, tell them, be honest with them, because I'm sure they don't want to coach you if you don't want to be coached by them. I'm pretty sure that's the way they're going to feel. If they're an experienced coach and, they've, and they understand that from a business perspective, there's plenty of clients out there. Um, so in the end, I'd just be honest with that person. And if, it, if you do come to the decision that you do want a new coach and you do want to try something different and you've given them the opportunity and they're not giving you the physique and the outcomes that you want, then just have an honest conversation with them. Um, and if they're professional, they will take it on board. They might even ask you for some feedback so that they can improve their coaching. And if they're professional, they'll let you go and they'll have no dramas with replacing you. Yeah. And the other part is like, are they, are they your best friend because you've become best friends through the process or were you best friends before them coaching you? Because I think that also makes a difference, right? But in the same token, if you were best friends before you started coaching, whether you coach them or not, wasn't the reason you became friends and it doesn't need to be the reason you stay friends either. And from the other point of view, if you became best friends through the coaching process, again, you weren't their best friend before that. And again, it's not going to, you know, one person's probably not going to ruin their livelihood in terms of a business financial aspect. So just just have a, a good, honest conversation. Yeah. I think a, a little thing that I've kind of learned too is sometimes you want to see a client go to another coach to then validate your coaching. Yeah. <laughs> because if they go to an, and this has happened a lot, and actually it's, I've seen in the recent season, is old clients of mine go to a coach that, is more popular, has uh, amazing clients because they're great at their marketing or they just get clients that are already good and at that top level. They go to them and they don't look any better or they look worse. It makes me validate my coach and be like, okay, I must be all right. Like if I've transformed them to look the absolute best and they've gone to someone else and they haven't got the same result, then I'm like, okay, well, let's know I'm doing all right then. Even though we've all got the success to – to, to know that we're doing all right, but um, it's always good as a coach to see see people go to go to other coaches. And then there's, there's more no one more there's no one more popular than Michael Trimboli, but <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It's true, man. This is true. But yeah, I think you've all you've probably all experienced that. For sure, all man. Things. For sure. Yeah, and sometimes as well, I think if you were say you were eyeing off to go with like some IFBB person that's an IFBB pro or whatever and you, you know, they had someone go to the Olympia. Sometimes people that take on heaps and heaps and heaps of clients perhaps are not going to service you in the same personalized manner as say a Michael Trimboli who if you message him in the morning after your check-in and you have a question or that you message him three days later, he's going to respond to you because he's invested in your process. Versus if it's someone else who sees you as 95 or $100 a week as a direct debit, it's not exactly the same. And unfortunately, there is, there are some people like that. It's like any industry where it can be very transactional. And it's here's your macros, here's your program, um, send your check-ins next week. And it's literally, I'll speak to you once a week and that's it. Versus I know you boys are the same. We all have correspondence with our athletes in prep. Most of the time, it's, it's every second day as you get closer, pretty much every day. And again, it, that's part of being invested and, and caring about it. And that's why it goes back to what you were saying before, where you don't want to waste all your time and energy investing in someone if, they, if they're not really you know, taking your time and your energy and putting it to good use. If you're having to chase someone up to check in and to give you this and to give you that, it's kind of like, well, you know, I'll, I'll just give your spot to someone else because there's someone else who really wants to get going and wants to work hard. So 
I think there's that as well. So sometimes just because someone has a bigger name and they may have a huge roster, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get that same attention to detail and that love and that care, which, you know, you may get from someone who, even if it's not an, an MT or an MG, they might be someone who's smaller starting out. Sometimes that can also be good too because they might only have 10 clients on their roster, but you're one of their 10 versus someone who might have 50 or 60 or 100 and guarantee you the person who has 10 is going to give you more time and more care because obviously they're just as invested in the process as you are because they want you to do well because that's what's going to help grow their brand and grow their roster to 20 and 30 and 40 and so on. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I want to end on a more of a personal note. There was a question about um, what we think are weak points in our own physique. Scotty, maybe you start because you just come off the back of an off-season and you're going to start your prep kind of soonish. What What are your weak points and, and what did you really concentrate on and what did you really want to bring up for your next show? Jeez, how, how long a bit of a paper have you got, man? Can I honestly tell you, as, as soon as I step off stage, and this is true, every show that I've done, when I'm whenever I'm flying back on the plane, I literally we'll have pen and paper and I'll start performing like a SWOT analysis. So strengths, weaknesses, asymmetries, and a timeline to bring what I need to do up or to bring it to fruition. So one of the areas was, was definitely because I'm, I'm taller, I'm 6'2", um, I've got longer legs, calves, uh, an area which I'm yet to meet too many people unless you're Warren Sirak who's blessed with absolute like <laughs> volleyball oh, yeah. calves, sure. um, it's, which is one of those things. So that was definitely an area that I've, invested a lot of time the way of training them the volume frequency um so carbs was definitely an area and then to be honest it was pretty much just adding more um more density to my again because i'm taller to my arms um to my shoulders and um more width to my back obviously competing as a physique pro there are areas where you need to have i guess more shape and more size so that was definitely a um a point i, I felt and I still feel like my chest is probably I'm more blessed genetically to have you know good tissue to that area and it responds pretty well. But definitely adding more width, more through my calves. And I was also I put a bit more work into my my legs than previous years mainly because I wasn't sure if I was maybe going to jump in um, classic physique this season. But to be honest, after just seeing the variance in physiques over the last few shows. I've just probably decided it's probably not for me, mainly because it's just too hard to know the look. I feel like it hasn't really been solidified yet, so I've kind of drawn a line through that. But um, mm-hmm. the calves, um, adding more width to my lats, and then obviously a bit more attention to my arms. And a UMG? Yeah, I'm the same, man. I feel like I could write a, write a whole list, but I suppose that's what makes us love the sport, right? It's like we're satisfied never being satisfied. I think I've gotten a lot better at this because... You know, since handing the reins over to Scott and kind of letting him do the objective reflection of, of where I'm at, you know, we, we looked after my last show and, like, the big one for me is obviously chest. It's just genetically my... I always struggle to put tissue on my chest um, and we've prioritised that just in, in, in each training block we're sort of um, putting a little bit of extra volume through. Obviously, being 6'3", calves are a big one for me. Um, but yeah, just overall thickness to the quads and just trying to get a little bit wider through the backs with the divisions that I do is going to be um, is going to pr- uh, be fruitful for me for sure. So, but chest will be my biggest one by far, man. It's always been a, always been a weak point for me. Yeah, for, for me, um, you know, you're going to say full body, want to bring everything up, but I think the most I need to bring up for myself is definitely arms and shoulders, and to bring that roundness to the top of my physique for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you can always work a little bit more on back width, a little bit more on chest, chest thickness. Also, to I think training my abs a lot more to bring that, that uh, thick waist. No, to, to, bring, to bring more detail in my, in my midsection is something that I want to do a little bit more of. And obviously, yeah, we can always train our carbs as a little bit more. And so um, there are kind of three main areas that I really want to be bringing up uh, in this off-season for sure. Okay, so Scotty, Scotty's obviously got a... a- a freaking group having lunch near him or something. <laughs> Every, everyone's, well, to be honest, everyone's started, well, they start on the beers here at like 9am. There's bin yeah. tanks everywhere. But the pool bar area, people are starting, they get a little bit busier. Can you hear all that in the background, Kenya? Yeah, we're hoping you might be able to walk the laptop around, just give us a little tour before we sign off just for the YouTubers. 
I'll just show you. Come on, give us a little. Hold on to that. That's all the lobby area, but this is the. Um, I don't know if you can see, but the water. The Where are you staying down there? That's excellent. Um, yeah, it's good. Uh, at the double six. Uh, Whenever we're in Semiac, we, we normally say at the double six or the W, but yeah, the double six is good. Kids are upstairs, hopefully not causing um, too much, too much chaos. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have to get them out and get some food soon, but um, no, it's, it's good, man. Yeah, so good. thanks for joining, jumping on in Bali. That's, so both no, of us have a podcast from Bali, so MT, it's your turn to go to Bali and do a potty from there. I've never there. been to Bali, so I definitely... Hey, hey maybe it's a prep coach podcast, Boys Bali weekend. Oh. Well, we can, uh, you, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take the girls too. Do you know though? There's there's a season A show in Bali and the season B show after the nationals. We're speaking to Tony at Brisbane. He's going to be in Bali as well. So you'll be coming over for that way, huh? If yep. you're doing it, I'm there, dude. No, no but it's in season A. Will, will you have athletes doing the season A show in Bali? Yeah, probably I not. Spoken about it yet to them, but I'll have a chat. He's like I, don't know, actually, I, I, I don't know if that's 100% been released, but I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it out there now. I love the Bombshell podcast. <laughs> but it, and season now, I'm pretty sure is there. And again, season B, it probably hasn't been released yet, but there's definitely going to be a season B show here. It's going to be um, a good pro show too, from what I understand. So that will definitely be on my um, on my plans, I think. Well, we're, we're going to have to come to the For us, we need to be yeah, there. Man, it's, it's, we're, we're a trio. We're, we, where we all go, we go together. I have to. That'll be sick. Yeah. All right, boys. Well, Scotty, you enjoy the rest Great of the trip. trip. Enjoy, mate. Thanks, boys. We will uh, we'll chat in the next one. Right. Sounds good. Thanks for the boys. Talk soon. Yeah.